You're listening to The Hoof of the Horse, a podcast dedicated to farriery and equine science with Dr. Simon Curtis. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Hoof Care Essentials Foundation partner, Helper Medic Products. My guest today uh, on the Hoof of the Horse podcast is Paige Poss. She's a hoof care professional who's made a speciality of hoof anatomy. Now, I first met Paige at Cornell University, where we were both on the same program, and she also kindly supplied many pictures and illustrations for the Hoof of the Horse, uh, my recent book. She's over in the UK doing some anatomy clinics, and I was lucky enough to catch up with her. Hello, Paige. Hi, Simon. So uh, I think we'll start by asking what you what first got you into trimming. A lame horse and no money. Your horse? Yes, it was my horse. So I had a horse that I was spending more money than I could afford for therapeutic shooting, and it didn't seem to be doing much good. So my grandfather always made me trim my own ponies. So it wasn't beyond my comfort zone to pick up a rasp and just start rasping. He was already broken, so what did it matter? And he actually did really well. So then I was one of those that if it stood still long enough, I started trimming. So how did you self-teach yourself at that point? A book or intuition? Intuition at that point. And then I started. The internet was just the um, barefoot craze really had gotten started, so there was a lot more information on the internet. And because my grandfather, he actually did made my mom learn to shoe and my aunts and the uncle was, they were all told they had to know how to take care of their own horse's feet. And my grandfather had shown me some basics, not on shoeing, but just trimming. So. Okay, because you worried me a little bit because I was going to ask you, what do you think about self-taught people? <laughs> I actually feel like I'm very much self-taught. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't go to many clinics or anything. I pretty much have... Nor did I, because they didn't exist. But, <laughs> but now, I think you went down a certain road to um, hoof trimming and somebody who has a very special view on the way we should trim horses. Are you going to tell us about that? Well, I, I feel like I just looked at the horses to figure out what was working and what wasn't working. Yeah. And then I tend to be a little bit stubborn and when people said you couldn't do something I would test it because I have a research background and was a lab technician and have a science degree I always had to test things and even amongst my own horses there for a while I was uh, I felt like I was home for the lame and the insane I was bringing home my own guinea pigs yeah and I would sometimes even try one thing on one foot and another thing on another foot yeah. and just pay attention and do But my you own. know that's not what I'm getting at. I'm asking if there was a certain uh, type of trim that, that, that you tried out because oh, you were taught that way. Okay, I did start out the first time I did find somebody to help me hands-on. It was Strasser. Yeah. stuff and it was someone who had who was going through the certification and I ended up working with her for a while and are you still a Strasser trimmer no <laughs> <laughs> okay well I, I think we, we had to cover that it was it was the elephant in the room um 
So uh, that's how you, you got into trimming. Um, but how did you get into dissections then? So the one thing with this person that I followed, <clears throat> she did take apart a few feet. And having a research background and loving science, I got hold of cadaver feet and that's how I learned. I'm a hands-on person. I really can't learn from the books. And I found the anatomy books didn't answer the questions on for me on how to trim. They just were terminology. Yeah. And I needed it to be three-dimensional, hands-on. So I started doing it for myself. And then as time went on, I started doing little... Lots of people wanted to see. And so I got lots of practice and kept doing, started doing little clinics. And then I found that the um, artistic side kicked in. And that's when I started kind of photo-documenting what I was doing. Because I realized a lot of people either don't have access to cadaver feet or they don't um, you know it's kind of hard to learn how to crack these things open and get some information so I felt like I know it sounds a little bit corny but it was almost a way to honor the samples that I got and the horses that I was working with by getting as much information as I could out of them and being able to share it yeah, they're certainly tough to get into because we did a couple of uh, dissections. When I say we, you did them and I talked to you and we videoed it. So at some point in the future, we hope those are going to come out. But uh, I'm not going to give any secrets away, but there, you know, it was a big hoof, one of them. And mm -hmm. actually because of the preparation, the hoof capsule came off quite easily once the preparation was done. So I know you have a very special way of doing that. And that was one of the first things that attracted me when I saw you do stuff in Cornell. And, and you, you do dissections uniquely. So you're not, unless I'm wrong, it's not you're following somebody's pattern. It's that you've arrived at this method yourself. Yes, I pretty much um, love to play and, and find different ways to take the feet apart so that I can look at how all the tissues are integrated mm -hmm. and how they're functioning together. My biggest interest is the back of the foot and yep. all the soft tissues. That really, really fascinates me because I feel like it's so, there's so little real information on it. Yeah. And um, I think you and I agree that, although of course laminitis, which is the most destructive disease of the horse's foot, goes on at the front, by and large, every other problem is in the back half of the it foot. It is. That's where things go wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's basically where you look. And I'd have to say, if any people have not seen your dissection, they need to look at it because you learn about the function of the, of the back half of the foot. Well, thank you. And I, I do have a business partner with Anatomy of the Equine. And Jenny is such a magician at taking the images and helping to convey even more information from the images. It's the, the pairing of the two of us with her graphic design background and, and my slicing and dicing skills. Well, um, and I know that you're moving on in your project with your business partner and you're going to be, or you have already started doing webinars. Yes, we have a new, at anatomyoftheequine.com, we have a new online course. We're just a couple of weeks away from really having it 
easily found, but um, it's we've got most of the modules done and it's up and running. Some people have already got access to it, but so tell me how this works. They 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 pay you a fee and then they can download it. Is that the way it works? No, it's or you, they go online. Sorry. You go online. Okay. It's um it's stream. It's more like streaming. So it's more like Netflix or watching a movie through okay. Amazon Prime, and but you'll pay and then. You can, it's yours to go to anytime you want. You can look at all the different modules and revisit them. You can turn volume on, off. The other thing that I'm excited about, and this is a detail we haven't got working 100% yet, is we want all of them to be downloadable audio so that you could take that and listen in your car while you're driving or something. You know, of course, the images are much, much better to have the audio with the images. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people, it's just the rote memorization if you're studying for exams or something and you need to go over, say, tendencies. You're not telling me you're going to start doing podcasts and writing. No, no, no podcast at this point in time. Oh, okay. I'll never say never. No, I know. I know. But that's a good one. I actually, all joking aside, thought that's what you meant, that you'd do a podcast podcast that would run alongside it and it was an educational podcast no we're just hoping to lift the audio <clears throat> out of the modules so that yeah. you're getting the exact same audio so when you watch it you'll have this to this, repeat as you'll you see it you'll hear it repeated and you can recall the images that went with it uh, well we're going to um we, we are going to put out in conjunction with this podcast where people can find you online and how they can get to the webinar. So, uh, you know, we'll make that hopefully easy for everybody because yep. uh, the easier it is to find you, the more chance they have of getting your educational well, stuff. Thank you very much. Now, um, I have to say that when I first started communicating by email a few years ago and um, got to know each other, you made a little slip up. And I don't know if you remember <laughs> what the little slip up was. You sent me an email and it wasn't your normal email address, it was Iron free hooves, and um, I'm just wondering, do you still think hooves should be free of iron? When I trim them, they should be because I don't want oh, a well, shoe. Well. <laughs> um, I am very, very open. It's funny because I feel like I've met some of the most amazingly talented people that are barefoot trimmers, traditional farriers, a lot of people who use composite materials. And what I found is there is an amazing passion and wealth of knowledge from so many different fields. I've, my whole understanding of this field has expanded beyond belief because of reaching outside of the bubble of, of the barefoot world. And I have to say it's only been filled with good things. And I myself have seen situations where either a horse was uncomfortable and after a while something else needs to be tried. I always encourage people, you need to take the best care of your horse that fits you, your environment, your horse. It, there's not a recipe. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I happen to be a trimmer. That's what I do. But when that's not working for the people, the horses, the barn owners, sometimes I, I tell people if they're sending their horse to a trainer, if the trainer feels the horse needs shoes, 
just put shoes on. You know, it's, it's, don't make it so complicated. You know, experiment. Figure out what works best for you. As you probably know, now that I'm semi-retired, um, I only have seven horses on my books that I shoe, and I still have 120 to 150 that I trim. So, so I am only having a bit of fun with you. But I, I just wondered um, if you have an opinion on the effect of the hoof all of, of gluing, because there's different gluing methods, and many of them they are, should we say, cuff techniques. They wrap around the door the dorsal hoof wall. I wondered if you found anything I detrimental or, or, or restrictive to the functioning of the hoof. I got <coughs> pretty good at putting on composite shoes and doing some gluing. And I have to say, I really like it. And I, the jury's out. I didn't do it long term enough to have first-hand knowledge. But I feel like, again, with practice and know-how and paying attention, I think those things are fine. No. I didn't see detrimental effects. Um, and, and other professionals I've worked with, I've seen them have horses in that type of package long-term, and I'm just not sure there's... I, I can't say definitively. Well, I, yeah, I know, you know, I've done a lot of gluing over the years, and I'd have to agree. I think when people say the hoof deteriorates underneath, I think it's usually a hoof that's already diseased underneath and you're trapping it in but I don't think you get additional disease from from glues that's again my observation that's my opinion that? so I, I can't speak <clears throat> for others but I don't feel like it's doing the direct damage now I know you you grew up in in Virginia and uh, hence your very slight southern twang actually I didn't grow up in oh. Virginia I was I grew up um in the south. I've lived in a lot of southern states okay. further south than Virginia okay. and I didn't move to Virginia till I was 36 so well I stand corrected. <laughs> that's where I've lived the most recently until moving you, to Arizona. Yeah you've just moved to or in, what, how long two years? Or? Yes just two years in Arizona. So uh, you and I share an interest in how the environment affects hoof shape and maybe hoof structure and hoof quality but of course, I've stayed in the same spot all my life. So, but you've observed two very different climates on the horse too. So, I, I'd like you to share what your thoughts are on on that. My thought is, I have a whole lot to learn about arid feet in the desert, <laughs> and I'm loving it because I had planned on not trimming that much once I <clears> moved out there, but. It's such a wonderful opportunity to, to figure out the dynamics. And because Virginia was a lot more like here. I mean, looking out the window in the studio, it's just, it looks like where I just moved from in Virginia. It's identical almost. And in Arizona, the feet are vastly different. And I don't think it's just breed differences or anything else it's definitely an environment but things that were not of concern or not the same concern like bars and stuff like that I learned you know how to neaten up bars and keep them un under wraps but in Arizona you take half rounds and you pull out inches of bar sometimes on these neglected yeah. feet and that's just not what I saw in Virginia and the feet 
the hoof horn is so much harder and and you get upright feet that you just didn't get unless the horse was club footed you I just didn't see the the hoof shape and I, I think I, I think I told you while you were with me that the first person that really noted that was uh, Captain Horace Hayes who wrote veterinary notes for horse owners and he said that thoroughbreds exported from England, their hooves became more upright. So you've reported the horse you, you saw, but did you take horses with you? Did I brought two horses with me from Virginia and both of them, one of my mares went down a size in her hoof boots, the other one already, come, she was a little quarter horse, she had small tight feet, but they got smaller. And then I have a good friend who had moved out there with four horses that she moved from Michigan to um, Arizona, same area that I'm living in, and she said her horses, all four of them went down a shoe size. Yeah, so there's quite a pattern there, and mm -hmm. as I say, it, it has been noted, but it is quite interesting that, that we think that we're so in control of hoof shape and what we do, and, and we're not in control of that, and, and the hooves change shape. I mean, I had the opposite. I had a horse come from the States, from the Western States, a quarter horse, and had beautiful, strong, upright hooves. And despite my every attempt, I'm not saying they became bad, but the angle lowered, the hooves opened, so they'll do it in the reverse direction as exactly. well. Exactly. But what's even more interesting is now I'm starting to get cadaver feet from the West, and I'm seeing vast differences in the coffin bones and the navicular bones and it looks like all the accumulation of sole and bar in the bottom of the foot is definitely <coughs> causing different things to happen to those bones than I saw in all the wet feet that I had pulled apart in Virginia. And I, well I hope you carry on observing that and documenting it because it's a really important thing for all of us I think to understand. Now you're you don't call yourself a barefoot trimmer do you? You're no. a trimmer? I guess I call myself a trimmer. Okay you're a trimmer and I'm a farrier. How come we get on so well? We're not supposed to are we? Back in the day we weren't. <laughs> okay but I mean there, there is this um, antagonism isn't there? To me, there is not near the antagonism there was 20 years ago. Back in 1999, when I started trimming, there did seem, and I don't know if it was internal, I don't know if it was shoes were the enemy and farriers were the enemy and, and stuff, but all I know is now... But you're really popular with the farriers, so you're probably getting a different view now. I think I can actually say the farriers love you, and then I, you know, you, you do your stuff at the... Hoof Care Summit, and you fill the place out, and they love it, don't they? They do seem to really. But is that because they're loving you as an anatomist, or yeah. or have they forgiven you for being a <laughs> trimmer? The the thing that's so amazing is that they don't judge me for being a trimmer. I've now spoken twice at the um, AFA National Convention and then yeah. the Hoof Care Summit, so <clears throat> it's it feels like. People just want more knowledge, and I think we're all opening up and sharing knowledge and celebrating the things that 
you can learn from other people is is been the experience and I feel like anatomy has been the vehicle for me to be so widely accepted because you know I love I just love sharing what I'm seeing but letting people see what they need to see and what they need to take away from it because I feel like everybody's environment that they're working in is different everybody's experience level is different and they're going to see things that they need to see, and I don't always know what that is. For example, the um, clinic we did earlier in the week, there was a student who has only been an apprentice for a few months, and then there were some that are getting closer to studying for exams, and they, they need different things. But when you just open it up and you help them you know, see different things, but don't tell them what to take away. Now, I've allowed you to get away from the question, so I'm going to put it in a different way. (laughs) If I'm a farrier and my horse owner says, I'd like my horse to go barefoot, what is your advice to that farrier to do? This is how I run my business. I feel like it's... If someone asks me... You gave me the answer to that a couple of days ago where you said they should say I'll take the shoes off but we can always put them back on again. Yes, and that's what where I was starting to go is kind of get back to this where I feel like it's worth an experiment. A lot of times owners would want me to do something that maybe was outside my level of comfort. And I was okay with telling them it was outside of my comfort, but let's try it. Because you can always go back to what you've been doing. You can encourage people to go to other, find other professionals. And I feel like the more the door is open, I had a lot of clients who started reminiscing about how much they enjoyed their horses being in shoes or they thought it was better or they thought it helped. And I feel like people are trying to do the best for their horses. So I would say, do it. See what's best. And then they would come back, and a lot of times they would come back with another horse or they would decide to take the shoes off. But the open door policy only helps everybody. And, and you know why, because you know me well enough, that I'm getting at this because I have a go at the farriers over this and say that they, they get defensive and they react badly. And it's not unreasonable for an owner to say, can my horse go barefoot? Horses are not born with shoes on. But the same happens in the trimming world, where sometimes an owner says, should I try shoes again? And I think we need to not be so defensive in this direction, too, and say, Mm -hmm. if you feel like that's going to help, then they should, with grace, let somebody go back instead of being defensive. Yeah. And And when you're defensive and you get angry, you burn your boats and you push people you know, away from you, don't you? I, that's the way I feel about it. And I, I've had lots of clients over the years say, can my horse go without shoes? And I give an opinion. It's worth a try. Yeah, and, uh, you know, if, if they take them down rough tracks in this country, whatever, I'll say, I don't think you should try it, but, you know, you can phone me up, we can get the shoes back on in a day. So, anyway, we've, we've covered that. What I wanted to do now, I've got to go for the deep philosophical question. And... That is basically, what's the most important thing that you have learned? Is that 
broadly learned? <laughs> well, you can answer it whatever way you want. <sighs> What's the most important thing you've learned then in your business as an anatomist? The most important thing has been just how much passion there is out there in this field, whether it's, it's hoof care in general. It's, it blows me away with how much people want to know. So, so we might as well put the other side and say, what about in your life in general? What's the most important thing? Probably the same thing, that, that given a chance, a lot of times you'll see that people, and me included, yeah. we just want to do the best we can. Yeah, that's great, and I know that comes from the heart. So there's only one other thing to cover, really. I'm just wondering, we have got a little bit more science now, haven't we, in this industry? Where do you think we should be studying? I mean, I'm obviously talking about the horse's foot and the right, horse and right. locomotion, but what do you think that, that scientists, those that have the opportunity to study, should be aiming at? Well, what I like is I've seen it just really starting to ramp up even in the last, what, three, four years, that more people are being encouraged to look into the hoof and do research and what's exciting is I see more people who are, are professionals who are starting to do yeah. research. So it's not a scientist who's got this idea of what we're looking at. It's someone who's actively got experience with feet. And we talked about this earlier that I like that some of the super simple questions are being answered. And it's not as glamorous it's not as sexy to have, you know, you'd like to think you're gonna answer every question there is or some big, you know, answer something about laminitis. Something or profound. Something profound. But I was telling you earlier, sometimes the simple things are, you need to build on those. Yeah. And for every simple question you answer, often three, to five questions come up and you just it gives you a, a better direction on mm. what need where things need to go next well you know as somebody who's finally recovering from doing a phd i know how many questions you end up with and and i know when i started out i really thought i could study everything and the university and my professor had to sit me down and actually say simon you've just got to study a little but study it really well and I think we sometimes don't understand that. I, I've had people say, well, why didn't you study this? And why didn't you study that? And I've had to say, I'm leaving that for you, pal, to study. There, there's a nice gap for you. And that's the point, there's, there's so much. I mean, we need to know about hoof shape. We need to know about hoof wear, don't we? We, we need to know about just about it all. Well, and I feel like sometimes people have asked me about what I'm seeing in my research. And I want to clarify, I don't feel like I'm doing research. It's not done in a way that we could technically call it research. I feel like I'm offering people images and dissections so that they can have better questions and maybe they can do some research. Yeah. 
But I do have to clarify, this is not research that I'm doing. I try to do some things very systematically so that there is some consistency and maybe some conclusions could be drawn. But having a research background, it's like I, I realize it's not structured enough to be called research. Well, that's, it is correct of you and it's quite modest. And I know that you do inspire people uh, to look at the hoof deeply. I've, I've got to say that I'm so grateful the illustrations that you let me use for the hoof of the horse. Anybody that hasn't seen them either needs to go to your website and we'll, we'll put that out with this. Or look at the hoof of the horse and they will see how you can illustrate and the structure of the hoof so well. Now we did a couple of videos yesterday and hopefully they're going to come out. So I've got to thank you for that. I've got to thank you for uh, the clinic that you did that I attended on Friday. I'm starting to lose the days now, so a couple of days ago. And, and just for doing this podcast with us. So it's been really brilliant. So thank you very much, Paige. It's been so much fun spending time with you. We'd like to thank Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partners for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more information at hoofcareessentials.com. You can follow more of Simon's work on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Simon Curtis. To get in contact, please email thehoofofthehorse at gmail.com. And for everything else, go to drsimoncurtis.com. Thanks for listening.